verse number 21, where we left off last week. And so, as you guys know, um, through the gospel of Mark, Mark is a, a, a young man when he, oh, yes, let's do it. Let's turn the lights off. Actually, you know what, Brian, just get it ready, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to it here in a second. So, um, I, I, I'll, I'll highlight it in just one second. Some of you guys have seen this. I, I want to show you guys a quick video um, to highlight a, a section of this, this verse that I want to talk to you guys about. But let's, let's set it up first. So Mark is, is writing again. And I think what's cool to, to, for the gospel of Mark is the gospel of Mark might appeal more to a younger audience, kind of a, a certain place, a certain stage in life when, when you're not so much interested with the history and the, the details, you're kind of just interested in what now and what's happening and, and what's fresh and what's live. And, and Mark writes to a specific audience. He writes to a, a Gentile audience, the Roman audience. When he talks of Jewish things as we go through the Gospel of Mark, he explains them, which if he was talking to Jews primarily, um, he wouldn't need to do that. Each of the four Gospels is... Um, Oftentimes the stories are repeated from four different opinions, or not opinions, but viewpoints and, and, and places of positions where we see these things. But the Holy Spirit, as he inspired the authors of the Gospels to write, he, he presents each one with a specific um, idea in mind of the four Gospels. You know, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and one is to portray um, four different characteristics of, of Jesus' life and his ministry. Jesus as a servant, Jesus, Jesus as a king, Jesus as a human, and Jesus as God. And so Mark's task, his role, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is Mark shows Jesus as a servant. And, and as we, we had Gail Irwin here a couple weeks ago, his ministry is called Servanthood. And the reminder to us as Christians is that um, we're, we're to do what our, our, the person we follow, our leader, did, right? And what Jesus did was Jesus served. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but that I might serve others. And so if Jesus by nature is a servant, and, and the very nature of, of the greatest commandment for you and me as Christians is to love other people, and the very heart of love is serving and is other-centered. We have some bumper stickers on the back table there, and it simply says others with that heart that, that we're to be other-centered. It's, it's the greatest way to show Christian love is to put others before ourselves and be other-centered. So in Mark's gospel, he's, he's portraying and he's showing Jesus as a servant. We find this word in Mark's gospel repeated so many times. So, now, immediately, because he's just going right to the next thing. He never begins at, um, at the life of Jesus prior to 30 years old. He doesn't tell us anything of his birth, anything of his genealogy, you know, anything of his heritage. He just gets right into day one of, of Jesus's ministry. And as you know, Jesus lived a very normal life for 30 years. He was a carpenter's son in a town of Nazareth. He, he followed all of the Jewish law to a T for 30 years of his life. He, he had to, in order to be sinless and, and, and complete his mission here on earth, he had to follow the, the Mosaic law perfectly, and he did that for 30 years. And, and, and when we, as we saw last week at Jesus's baptism, and now his ministry begins. When the Holy Spirit descended and remained upon him, Jesus now begins his three-year earthly ministry that Mark is just going to highlight through here. So let's, um, let's take a look at it. It says, then they went into Capernaum, and immediately, there's that word. When you see the word immediately, now, um, you can underline those, and then, and is used hundreds of times in this Bible because it's the progression of, of Mark just taking us through the life of Jesus. And it says, immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he taught. And so um, Jesus teaches in the synagogue on a Sabbath. So the way the synagogue would work in Jesus's day, it would be like the local church. Now they had the temple, right? They had Solomon's temple there where Jesus often was. But, but apart from the temple that, that Solomon built and Herod rebuilt, the synagogue was the local church. And in every town and every city and every place where Jesus traveled, there would have been a local church or a synagogue. And in the synagogue, they would have a, a, a leadership like we do here today. They would have the, the, the ruler of the synagogue who would kind of be the president of the operation. He would assign the teaching schedules, the agenda, the things that were going on. You'd have the rabbis that were the teaching rabbis. And so Jesus would have had to get the permission or the right from the... He didn't just go in and take over the joint. He got an invitation and he, um, he, he would go in, and it says he would teach. 
And, and so again, I got lots of words for you guys to underline and write in. I hope you guys write in your Bibles, and, and uh, it's not sacrilege, I promise. It's all good. If your Bible's all written in and worn out, your, your life is probably not. And so um, mark it up, highlight it, remember it. When you get it full, archive it and get it started on a new one. And so um, the word taught, and then twice in, in verse 22, teaching and taught. So Jesus would go into the synagogue on Sabbath. So what is Sabbath? Sabbath is the day that God laid out, right, for us to take a day of rest prescribed in the law of Moses. And so the Sabbath is from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. Now, I don't know how we got it twisted in the West or even in the, the, the you know, somewhere that we think that there's this idea that the Sabbath is Sunday. And to this point where even, you know, so many of the different um, religious organizations who, who desire today to honor the Sabbath out of duty, out of obligation, out of having to follow the law of Moses, they observe it on Sunday. But the Sabbath is not on Sunday. The Sabbath was never on Sunday. Jesus didn't observe it on Sunday. Jews to this day don't observe it on Sunday. They, they still got it figured out. But somewhere we, in, in, the, in religion and in rules and regulations, we've, we've somehow turned the Sabbath into Sunday. When I was, co when I was at Joshua Springs, we would play this um, private Jewish school. And so um, when you got them in the playoff game, it was, it was always the CIF would schedule this basketball game for Friday night. So whenever we played Torah, Vibut Torah, on a, on a playoff game, we had them a couple years over the years, and they, they don't play on Friday nights. It's the Sabbath. So if you're going to play them, you just know the game's going to be on Saturday after the sun goes down because that's the Sabbath. So, so why, does, why do we, why does the Christian church today then meet on Sunday? Because that's how the early church did it. And we follow the, the prescription from the early church. So Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. And so from that point on, as the first day of the week, the tradition of Peter and Paul and the early church and the churches they start is they would meet on the first day of the week and they would meet on Sunday. And so we met on Sunday. You know, and, and don't, don't let anybody, the Bible says, judge you on, on Sabbaths or new moons or, or foods that are clean or unclean. The Bible says in the New Testament, because you may esteem one day higher than another, but God esteems every day alike. And as far as taking a Sabbath day rest, you're not under the law. So, so technically, you, you don't, by law of God, earn any points or lose any points if you don't observe the Sabbath. But it's, it's generally just a biblical principle that's always true. It's a good idea. We, we, we try to make our Sundays about serving the Lord and, and, and being with God and spending time with God and just a day of rest for the week. And if you want to follow the Sabbath too, the other thing is, you know, people who, who religiously try to follow the Sabbath, you, you just miss it. You just can't do it, right? Because it says in that respect, it says six days a man shall work and the seventh day he shall rest. So if you're observing the Sabbath, you better be working on that sixth day if you want to do it right. And it says that you're to do no work on the Sabbath. So I hope you don't have to drive a car on the Sabbath to go to this church that only recognizes the wrong Sabbath Sunday as, as the Sabbath day. Because if you start the car, you've kindled a fire and you're breaking the law. And it just goes on and on and on. And you, you just can't do it. But it's, it's, it's not what Jesus did. So Jesus' custom was to go in on Sabbath and teach the Word of God. And so that's what we do here. We, we try to set the... Uh, follow the example that the Bible has. And all the way through this, we're going to see this, that the emphasis is Jesus teaching, teaching, taught, teaching them. Paul said in, in, in the epistles, he said, I've not shunned to declare to you the entire counsel of God's word. And that's why we want to take the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We want to go all the way through it. And, and we we're not going to get off into left field that way. You know, we can make the Bible say anything we want, right? And many people do. And you could get lots of traditions and, and weird things going on. And, you know, the Bible says right here that um, Judas went and hung himself. And over here it says, go and do likewise. Yeah, those two don't go together. But, but someone can say, well, the Bible says to go hang yourself. I'll show you right here where the Bible says that. So, so you can deceive or be deceived unless you understand the heart of God you understand the, the heart of Jesus, and you only get that through, through studying the, the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, you read the whole thing. We encourage you guys. What do we, what's our saying here? Read your Bible and pray 
every day, right? And, and it's profound. It's, it's simple. It's simply profound, but yet profoundly simple that as we just read the Bible and we develop a relationship, and what I always tell you guys is when, when you read the Bible every day, you fall in love with the God of the Bible. His name is Jesus, and, and you're, you're going to fall so in love with him, and that, that's what, it, what we want to do. And so, so Jesus is teaching. The interesting thing, it says in verse 23, it says, Now, well, I'm sorry, verse 22, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Really quickly, basically the, 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 the scribes, the, the rabbis of the local synagogues would come and they would teach. But it was always like, you know, kind of like I do. You know, Chuck Smith says this, and John Corson says this, and Rabbi Gamaliel says this way and does this. And, and Jesus shows up, and for the first time, you know, or even if you're quoting the Bible, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, and Jesus shows up and teaches, and they're all astonished because something is different in Jesus' teaching. And for the first time, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. And, and that changes. And so they, they, they recognized his authority uh, of what he was, who he was and what he was teaching. You know, I just want to take a little rabbit trail right here. You guys indulge me for a minute. Um, one of the things here in this church that, that I've dealt with since I got here that continuing to deal with a little bit is, you know, um, I have a certain individual who, who in honesty, just in wanting to know, he, he, he started with, with one church, he went to another church, he went to a church that shut down, was involved in another religion, and, and then he comes here. And, and I'm teaching the word, and, and, and he's just, he's confused. And he just says, you know, I'm just tired of all this. He's like, you know, I've been over here, and they're saying this, and I've been over here, and they're saying that, and I've been over here, and they're saying that. I don't know what to believe. I don't know who to believe. How do I know which one of you liars is lying the least? You know, and, and honest question, good question. And, and no doubt, as I've shared before, that's part of the enemy's plan is saturation. You saturate the market with all this stuff, and it's very difficult to find out the truth. But I want to tell you, you don't, you don't have to rely, and don't you dare rely on me for, for what's true and what's not and what I'm telling you. You go and verify it for yourself. But as, as you, and that's what I told him, you have to know Jesus. You have to know Jesus personally. You can know, the Bible says you can know that you know that you know Jesus. And as you meet Jesus, then when I tell you something, I teach the word, you go, you read it for yourself. You study for yourself. You're not going to stand before God one day and give account for your life and, and have excuse because I told you the wrong thing. It's not going to fly. I'm sorry. You're not going to use me as an excuse. So, yeah, so which pastor, which person, which church? Man, I'll tell you the one who won't let you down. I'll tell you the one who won't lie to you. His name is Jesus. And, and he reveals himself to us in his word. And if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. That's the point of Jesus' ministry in his life, is to reveal to us the Father. And so read the Word. Get in the Word. Find out for yourself. If I teach something, you know, you, and, and you could fact-check what I say. You can go back. I, I, I encourage you to study the Word for yourself. There's tons of teaching online out there, good teaching, places where you can go and, and grow in the Word, commentaries you can read. You need to do that to know Jesus and know Him more and grow. This is just a little... Um, whet the appetite what we do here in, in church in the local church in this congregation you know again paul paul went to two cities right and then paul shared after that he said he first he was in a city called thessalonica and, and he said he taught them the word and they just received it and believed everything he said and then he left and he went to a city called berea and he said the bereans they didn't trust him and they went for themselves and they checked the scriptures to see if what he was saying was true and Paul said those in Berea were more noble than, than those in Thessalonica because they received the word and they went and checked it to see if it was true. And those in Thessalonica, they didn't check it. And Paul didn't, didn't get upset with the ones in Thessalonica because they didn't believe him. Now, granted, it was the Apostle Paul, right? You could, you could believe what this dude was saying. I guarantee. I guarantee. Woo. But, but he, he commended those that checked what he said so they would know the Lord for themselves. So get in the Word, check it out. And it says, um, Now there was a man in the church, or in the synagogue, with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. So this guy was demon-possessed. Not only was he demon-possessed, he was demon-possessed where? In church. Coming to church don't make you a Christian. Going home from church today and standing in your garage don't make you a car. Or the motorcycle you want to be or have. Becoming a Christian, what makes you a Christian is surrender of your heart and life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says it's believing. 
Believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, the Bible says. And so this guy's in church. He has a demon. And it says, and saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the demon says to him. And that sets up our video. I want to show you who Jesus is. Because the demon knew who he was. And the question is, do you know who he is? Turn it up if you can, please. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-trained of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. That's the Jesus I know. That's my king. And the demons look at Jesus and they, they, they say, we know who you are. So I, I want to take just a few moments and, and, and address briefly the, this idea of demon possession. Because it's something that we're going to deal with all the way through the Gospel of Mark, all the way through the Gospel of Matthew, Luke, John. When you read the story and the life of Jesus, you constantly run into him encountering demon-possessed people and, and casting these demons out and dealing with, with this demon possession. But yet, today, it seems like we, we don't experience that. We don't see that in, in that type of frequency that, that Jesus did where he's constantly casting out demons. So does that mean that that, that phenomenon of demon possession is um, gone we, we don't live in that age? Is it, is it not here anymore? Is it something that just isn't present? Um, wh why is that? And so, first of all, I just want to start by sharing the, 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 the truth. You have an enemy. You have an adversary. 
He's called the devil. The Bible says he, 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 ro- he moves around like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. And so the Bible says when Satan fell from heaven with a third of his tail, he took a third of the host of heavens with him. Those are, those are fallen angels or demons. So, so for every bad and every evil, for every demon, we have two angels. They're outnumbered two to one. And I believe you have an angel that's, that, that's on your behalf, that, that's your guardian angel, that's personal, that, that watches you, that God has commissioned to, to, to minister and to help you in your life. But, but just the same, there's an equal entity, a demon, that, that is there to tempt you, that is there to harass you. And here we have very clearly in Mark chapter 1, we're going to see it four times, Jesus dealing with demon possession situations. So I, I think today it's, it's valid, it's real, it's just as frequent. Now, now you won't come to church here on a regular basis or probably ever and see me get somebody up here and shake the demon out of them. I've been to churches where they do that. I've been to churches where the pastor will shake any demon out of you. Pastor, I just can't stop eating those Twinkies. I shake the demon of Twinkies out of you. And it's scary, you know. We went and this, this pastor wanted to shake the demon of, of fear out of my sister. And I was like, well, that's cool, but my sister don't know Jesus. She might want to get saved first. She could have no demons in her, but how, what good does that do her? She doesn't know Jesus. She's not born again. Jesus said you must be born again. I think that's more important. But anyways, you know, so, so you're not going to see that. But the reality of Demon possession is real. I just want us to understand that. It's not something that we're to be afraid of, but it is something that we're to know that it's, it's a real, it's alive, it's well today. I think when we deal with it, the realm of demons, there's basically two types of, of encounters that, that you'll see in the world. And, and it's, it's either oppression, where it's from the outside, or it's possession, where it's from the inside. In these cases, which Jesus is dealing with, this is possession, where a demon is actually possessed a, a, a human and um, is, is being cast out or delivered out of this, out of this human. You know, in the area, the Bible says uh, one of the things of those that, that practice pharmakia will, will not inherit the kingdom of God. The word pharmakia, the Greek word actually means sorcery. But the word pharmakia comes from our English word pharmacy. And so pharmacy, pharmakia, and, and sorcery or witchcraft are tied closely together biblically. It's the same thing. It's the same word, same idea, sorcery, pharmakia, pharmacy. And, and one of the places where you're going to deal with a ton of demon possession and oppression is in the, is in the realm of, of heavy drug use. And, and people who open their lives up to, to, to drug use, certain types of drugs, um, that, that a, a, a prolonged lifestyle of that You've opened yourself up to that type of oppression and possession in your life. Um, even alcoholism and alcoholics, you, you, you see that where that's, that's, that's present. You know, the Bible says that he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. And so when, and, and the idea that a Christian can be demon-possessed is just not biblical. Don't ever let the, the pastor shake a demon of, of Twinkies out of a Christian, okay? Because a, a, a Christian person, if you're a Christian person, the Bible says that the holy that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And not for a moment is the Holy Spirit of God going to share that temple with the demon. You cannot be demon possessed as a Christian. As a non-Christian, it, it, it's 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 alive and well today. Um I, I said I wasn't going to do this in the early service. I told the early service this stuff, but I said it's not my notes, it's a little rabbit trail, but I said, you guys got to come early to get this stuff. You're, they're not going to get it in the late service, but I lied. So we're here. Let, let, let's, just, let's just go there, okay? And this is just me talking, okay? I'm not, I'm not giving you doctrine or nothing. But some examples of this. You see them in, in the music industry. There's, they, they've been over the years where you've, you've seen some of these things that are closely tied to the occult. And certain powers that, that, that certain performers will call on or summons. And the, the latest one I can think of that's very vocal and is, is not hidden. You know, they used to say you had to play that vinyl records backwards to get the satanic message. Well, we don't have that anymore, but it doesn't matter. You don't have to play it backwards anymore. You just play it forward and you get the satanic message today. But there, there's a performer, and I don't remember which one it is. If it's Beyonce or, or what's the other, Rihanna? Beyonce? Beyonce, she performed at the Super Bowl. 
couple years back. And she's on Oprah, and she's, she's giving testimony of her performance. And, and she says that there's a power that comes over her, in her, that um, is able to, to, to give her the power that she needs to perform. And she, she went, once, once this, this thing takes over her, her, that that's how these performances come out. She even has a name for it. She calls this thing Sasha Fierce. And she says when Sasha Fierce shows up, then, then you know, I, and, and in one of, the, one of the demonic, druid type of rituals that's done in summoning demons, and you'll see this, you'll see performers doing this on stage, but there's a deal where you, you face the north, and then you face the east, and then you face the south, and then you face the west, and you, 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 in each four directions, it's part of a, of a ritual. And, and, and when you know some of this stuff and you watch it, you see it, and it just passes by. But you'll see some of these performers doing some of this weird stuff on stage that nobody gets. And, and with this particular performance of Beyonce, somebody has gone back through with all the video. And, and, and you can see. You, you can see it. You can literally see a countenance change in here where at one point it's like, her eyes just change, they, they, everything changes, and, you know, with the pressure that, you know, of 100 and, what is it, the, how many people watch the Super Bowl? 120 million people tune into the Super Bowl, and, and, and this type of pressure and wanting to be able to give this awe-inspiring performance, they're opening themselves up to demonic powers and demonic oppressions, and they're real. And, and whether this, this Sasha Fierce thing that she says takes over her body whether it remains with her as a possession or, or, or something she summons, I don't know. Again, it's just me talking. You know, Michael Jackson was one who, you know, oftentimes had some weird stuff going on spiritually in his life. And, and he, he was one that would openly admit. He, he would say that he channels. And, and Michael Jackson was one of the most creative, ingenious performers and musicians that's ever lived in my life for sure. And the guy was brilliant, beyond brilliant. The last performance he died that he was getting ready to do, if you guys seen the, the uh, it was amazing, the ability of this guy to create. Do, how many of you guys remember We Are the World? A couple of you? How many of you guys remember the phone number you used to call back in the day to get the time of day? <laughs> you used to dial on the phone, right? They say, uh, the Pacific Standard Time is 8531212. Most of you guys are like, what is this guy talking about? I'm only 27, so how I remember that, <laughs> I'll never know. But, um, but we are the world. The story goes, you know, there's this this aid thing that we're going to do for Africa. The musicians are going to get together and they're going to share this um, this song. They're going to write a song. So they assigned Prince and Michael Jackson the the task of writing the song that everybody would perform. Um, they ma they arrange a meeting. They're going to do it at Never Neverland, uh, uh, Michael's ranch. And Prince shows up on a Saturday morning, uh, early in the morning, to work with Michael on this, on this song. And when he gets there, Michael had already had it done. And he said that, that he channeled last night, and that, I forget what he called it, that his, his, his demon basically showed up and gave him the words. And he teased in the last performance, and, and the, the, the producer of his last show, what was the last one called that he did? The movie just came uh, what was it? This is it. So he, the, he was, they're, they're taking it to London as the first place it's going to go. And they're working on the choreography and the thing, and it's amazing, right? And, and it's going on and on and on. And he, Michael is constantly making changes. And the, the producer finally tells Michael, you have to stop making changes. We're going live with this very soon. And Michael said, I, I, I can't stop channeling. If I, these things are, you know, coming to me and they're giving me this inspiration and I, if I stop channeling, they're going to give it to Prince. Is what he joked. But, but again, and, and again, like I said, you guys, this is a rabbit trail, just me talking. But, but the, here's the point of, of, of biblically that I'm trying to make. There, there is a demonic power that's present, that's real. As a Christian, it can't possess us. It can't, it can't, the Bible says, he that is in me is greater than he's in the world. But you don't want to flirt with it, please. You know, the Bible says in the same realm, if you're flirting with um, tarot cards, palm reading, astrology, uh, what else is there? Crystal ball thing? Stand on your head until you get some revelation? Any of that stuff. Okay? Any, any of that stuff. The Ouija board, all that stuff, it's demonic. It, 
there is a power in it. Don't have anything to do with it. It's a slap in God's face. You want to know your future? Get on your face before the Lord and ask Jesus what your future is. You want to know what your, 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 your timeline is going to say? Ask Jesus. Because the, the thing that breaks God's heart, the thing that's a slap in God's face, is this is Jesus. He's saying, hey, I love you so much. Just come here and just spend time with me, and I want to tell you your future. I want to encourage you. I want to empower you. I want to give you everything that you need. I want to tell you everything you need to know. I want to be there for you. And, and come to me. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Ah, nah. I'm going to go look at a Ouija board. I'm going to go get my palm read by some crazy chick with funky eye makeup. I mean, come on. It's just, it, it, and again, but, and, and last little thing, we're going to move on. It's not cute. Oh, I read the horoscopes and paper, and I, I know it's fake. It just, it's, it's cute. Sometimes it's right. Don't mess with it. There's no reason for it. I don't mess with it. We used to have a local radio station. I listened to the news, and the guy would do the horoscopes once a week on the end of the news, and you know, like, turn it off before it comes on. I just don't want to hear it. I just don't want to flirt with it. I don't want to dabble in any of that stuff. It's real. It's demonic. There is a power. Stay away from it. So the demon says in verse 24, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him, he cried out with a loud voice, and he came out of him. So a couple things I want to highlight here. Jesus commands this, this demon to come out of him, and he tells the demon, be quiet. Now, for, for whatever reason, the, the demon does obey because he comes out, and we're going to see here in, an, in, an, in a few verses, Jesus is going to deal with another demon situation, and he's going to cast this one out, and they're going to obey him. But this one, he, it, it seems like he doesn't obey Jesus, because Jesus said, be quiet and come out of him. What does it say in verse 26, it says, when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. So, you know, it's like a, like a little four-year-old throwing a tantrum on the floor, you know, like shake, he's going to shit, demon's going to come out, but first I'm going to shake the guy and make these screeches like a kid pounding, I think got some teenagers that act the same way, you know, like they're going to do it, but they're going to, and, and, whenever they, whenever they say that, quit cussing at me. That's a cuss word. So, so this demon like throws this little baby fit, but he does come out. But I'm thinking like maybe, maybe what Jesus specifically said when he told the guy be quiet, because the guy had already said through the, the body that he was inhabiting, right? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And then Jesus said, be quiet and come out of him. And the demon stopped talking but he, he made some noises, some whiny noises, and shook the guy before he came out. So, so in essence, he obeyed, and it was probably the, the be quiet wasn't that he couldn't make noise, but that he, he couldn't say something that Jesus didn't want him to say at the time. And it says, and they were all, in verse 27, what does it say? They were all, everybody say amazed. When you see Jesus, what's your reaction going to be? Everybody say amazed. Hey, that's what I want you guys to see. I want you to see Jesus, because I know your reaction is going to be amazed when you meet, when you see Jesus, when you, when you know Jesus personally. And that, that, that's, what, that's what the Word of God is. You know, the Word of God, no doubt, it has some morals and principles and rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. But that's not what it's about. It's about Jesus. And it's about knowing Him, getting to know Him. And when you do, you're going to be amazed. And, you know, I wanted to show you that video just, just to inspire a little bit of amazement in us and who Jesus is and, and, and what He is. But these people saw Him, and they were amazed. And so, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region of Galilee. So th this term fame of Jesus spreading is kind of something that, you know, you'll hear. And it's interesting he uses the word fame. One of my favorite uh, rappers, Christian rappers, is a guy named Andy Minio. And, you know, he has this little phrase. I won't rap it to you guys, but... He has this little phrase in his song, and he says, you know, do you live to make him famous? And I often will tell the boys that. I'll remind, you know, in our family and say that, you know, I live to make him famous. And that's, that's what, you know, that's what's happening here is that Jesus' fame is spreading, and people are getting to know who he is. And so I want to live to make him famous. And it says in verse 29, And as soon as they came out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay what hold on simon is peter 
Peter's wife's mother. Now, wait a minute. Peter was married? Nobody told me Peter was married. He's married? Sorry, sorry, uh, first pope was married. I hate to break that to you. But uh, Catholic tradition, right, uh, church history is that um, the the pope that we have now, the two, what is he, 232nd, never mind, I'm going to be good. That the, the succession is is from the bloodline from the from Peter that, that that Peter was the first pope and that you know and the popes take a an oath of celibacy and and it does pr- create a little bit of a problem in the doctrine because Peter was married Peter had a wife Jesus ministered to his mother in law he's going to heal her um, I don't know what else Jesus did to his mother in law he kept her in the closet or but Jesus probably you know I won't make any mother in law jokes. Like the difference between an in-law and an outlaw. Outlaws are still wanted. <laughs> Thanks, Chad. <laughs> your mother-in-law goes over the cliff in your favorite sports car. Kind of mixed emotions. None of that. I won't say any of those things. You know, they, you know they, don't, they don't write songs about mother-in-laws for nothing, right? We, we, we should have a clip of that. It's my song. Mother-in-law, mother-in-law. See, I'm too young to know that song, huh? <laughs> I love mother-in-laws. Just kidding. I couldn't pass up some mother-in-law jokes. So Peter was married. Just a point to make that Peter was married kind of changes some people's doctrine a little bit there. But just the reality, Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law. You have to have a, be married to have a mother-in-law. And so um, verse 33. No, where am I at? 31. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. So kind of interesting. Jesus is there now. Now you have Mary's mother-in-law, who, who I'm sorry, Peter's mother-in-law, who wants to serve the, the, the group that is gathered in her home, and, and she's sick. And when Jesus heals her, she gets up and she serves. And that, that, that can be a picture in itself. When Jesus touches our lives, when Jesus heals us, the natural response is we want to get up and serve. Um, the other interesting thing to me, and the thing to point out here that I really love is that, um, look, we're, this is, did I tell you guys in the beginning, this is a 24-hour period of Jesus' life from Mark verse 21 to the end of chapter 1. 121 to the end is a 24-hour period of Jesus' life. How did it begin? It began by Jesus going to the synagogue on the Sabbath and teaching the word. Now, church is over, and so what do they do? Jesus gathers together with some of his closest friends, four of the apostles at one of their houses, and, and what do they do? What is Jesus always doing every time you see Jesus? He's eating. Jesus likes to eat. I mean, that's just, read your Bible. Every time I see Jesus, he's eating. You know what it tells me about Jesus? It tells me that, you know, not only was Jesus fully God, he was fully man. And I hate to break this to you guys if it, if it bursts any bubbles, but Jesus, he had to use the restroom. He, he got sick. I mean, he didn't get sick. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He, he had to deal with, he didn't have like his, couldn't use his God powers to overcome the fact that God made him fully flesh and fully God at the same time. I know you don't understand it, don't worry, I don't either, but it's true. But, but um, Jesus was there, but he's eating. He, he, you know the thing, Jesus laughed. Jesus cried. Jesus told jokes. He, called, he calls two of his disciples the sons of thunder in jest. It's, it's a nickname, a funny nickname that Jesus gave to two of his disciples. Sons of thunder, because they wanted to call down fire from heaven and destroy the city that wouldn't receive him. And so Jesus was was uh, alive. He was real. You know why is it that for so long? It wasn't until like somewhere in two thousand, and I got them all. I got all the old VHS right of all the old Jesus movies. Mark, Gospel of Mark was one. Matthew. Never in any movie from the time we started making motion pictures till like recently did anybody ever portray Jesus in a movie smiling. That's crazy. Jesus smiled. I promise you. The author of life, the, the one who on his last 24 hours was so concerned with your joy and my joy, he laughed. I promise you. He smiled. He loved. He hugged people. He ministered to people. He had compassion on people. He was real. He hung out with his disciples and he ate. You know, in the early church, the, the Bible tells us in Acts 2.42, there's four pillars of, of a church. And so as we form church, as we try to figure out, what, you know, how to do church, we, we, obviously the first place we're going to look is at the early church and how they did it. And so, so the Bible tells us in Acts 2.42, four pillars 
of, of the early church. And so do you realize two of the four have to do with fellowship? Just getting to know each other, hanging out, spending time, breaking bread, fellowshipping. It's such a big part of our Christian life, especially here, you guys, in, a, in our community. It's something that we really got to work on. You know, I encourage you guys as a church, your, your whole church experience, your whole Christian experience, your life in Jesus is so dependent upon other Christians and other people of getting to know them, spending time with them. Go out to lunch with somebody today. Find, find someone you, you haven't invited out to lunch. Invite them over to your house. And if your house is dirty, clean it. Or, or, or have them over anyways. That's what I do. Or go out to lunch. Spend time getting to know people. We, we, want it, we have to build love across the aisles and fellowship and friendship. You know, Lydia and I talked about, I talked about already with one of the ways we got, really got to know Megan and Richard in the early days was they came to our house for a couple's Bible study. And, and you know what? We, we studied the Bible, talked about marriage a little bit. We ate, we laughed, we played pool, we played ping pong, we hung out, we made fun of each other. The guys did in the garage and the girls sat in the kitchen and told each other how pretty they were. And <laughs> we, we, we had a great time, but you know, through that, it was just a lot of fellowship. It was, it was just a lot of people. We, have a, we had a ton of Marines and, and God just totally blessed it. We had a ton of Marines that were new to 29 Palms, maybe didn't have any family there, didn't have a lot of friends other than the church. And, and, and it, was, it was about, and you know what? It just changed people's lives for Jesus. Their, their experience with Jesus, their walk with Jesus. I would venture to say that, that part of the fruit of that couple study was Richard sitting here right now. And, and, that, and that happened through fellowship. That happened through us just getting to becoming friends and getting to know each other and loving on each other. And so, so important, so important to your, your Christian life. I want to encourage you in that aspect of your Christian life, in, in making good friends with, with, with Christians. You know what we do sometimes? We come to church, we, we high and buy people at church, and then we have our friends that are maybe in the world or don't have the same spiritual beliefs that we do, and we want to go do something fun. We think of them, and we end up hanging out with them. And, and start changing that, you know? Start, start finding Christian people. So we are... Um, moving on. So that's what Jesus did. He went and he hung out. He, he healed Peter's mother-in-law, fortunately. In verse 35, 32, that's what I said. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And then Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases. And here he is again. He's casting out demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they did not know him. And this time, without question, they obeyed him. Really quickly, just a 24-hour period in Jesus' um, life. Some of my days are this way. Some of my Sundays are this way. I love it. My favorite thing, come to church early in the morning. You go out to lunch with some friends afterwards. You hang out. You spend some time. You go home. You watch football. And then in the evening, you come back for the evening service. And people come together where, you know, we get to pray for each other and, and, and minister to one another. And and just worship the Lord, spend some time together. And so that's what Jesus is doing. His whole day is just ministry. He goes to church, he teaches there, he comes home, he meets with the brethren, with his disciples, with the family, they eat, they hang out, and then the evening service. And, and it says the whole city showed up. And Jesus began to heal him and pray for him and talk to him and, and minister to him. And then it says, then, then that, was, that would have been the, the Sabbath, and the next day would have been like the first day where he had a break. And so it says the next morning he slept in and... Um, just kind of took it easy. Didn't say that? It says, Now in the morning, having risen a long way before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And so you'd think that Jesus had time to take a break. And, and, and yet there's no break. The ministry's just ministered till late in the night. Who knows if he just got a couple hours of sleep, and it says that he rose early in the morning. You know, this idea of, of rising early in the morning, I just have to tell you, it's biblical. There's something about it. In Isaiah, in Psalms, it says, early in the morning will I seek you, Lord. Early in the morning will I rise to, to spend time with you. And, and that was the example that Jesus set. And I do believe there's something about that morning time that God blesses. I know part of it is just practical. Because if you, if you wake up, you start your day, and you figure, okay, sometime throughout my morning, I'm going to spend a few moments with Jesus to start my day. I'm going to read a few chapters, verses in the Bible. I'm going to spend a couple minutes in prayer and, and spend some time with Jesus like I know I'm supposed to to start each one of my days. And, and, you know, if you don't do it first thing, it just doesn't happen. Your day starts, the day kicks off, you, you know, the phone starts ringing, the life starts, business starts, work starts, and you never end up carving that time out at all. 
And there, but, and there is something biblical, you know, the whole idea of the manna, going out early and, and co- collecting the manna. And if you waited till the sun came up, you wait too late, the manna was gone. And, and, and so I encourage you guys, I challenge you guys this week. And, you know, in, in, it's just, it's a recipe that God lays out in the Word. If you today, I promise you this, if you today will begin to rise earlier in the morning than whatever it is you do, and if you already rise early, a few minutes early, and begin to seek God each day, God will absolutely change your life. It will absolutely affect change and fruit in your life. I know it to be true in my life, and, and I wish I, I was up early at the break of dawn or before every morning seeking Jesus. And sometimes I am. Some weeks I am. Some weeks it's 9 o'clock before I'm rolling out of bed. Some days. But I, um, I, I know. I know it'll change my life. You know, I have a pretty good habit. Sunday mornings, I don't have a choice. I have to get up here. So my Sunday mornings start real early. And, and, and at some point, you know, by the grace of God, I have a little jacuzzi in the backyard. I end up in the jacuzzi in the dark, and I'm praying out and praying in the Spirit so my neighbors can hear me and, and, and seeking the Lord early in the morning. And it's always such a blessed time. And, and I try to get in the habit of just getting up early, a little bit earlier, and seeking the Lord first in the morning. God will bless it in your lives, I promise. And Jesus set the example. Jesus prayed. If Jesus needed to pray, you people, you don't need to pray because you got it. You're good, right? Of course not. If, if Jesus needed to rise early in the morning, and if he had made an example of praying to the Father, how much more do you and I need to spend time in prayer? And so it's, it's just an example of, of, of a lifestyle of seeking Jesus, of spending time in prayer with your Father, with your Lord, and Jesus set that example. Where are we at? Sorry. Oh, pray. 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said, let us go into the next town that I may purpose. For this purpose I have come. And he was what? Verse 39. He was preaching it in their synagogues throughout all the city of Galilee and casting out demons. And so Jesus, again, is preaching the word. The interesting little tidbit here in this section before we go to the last one is that Jesus was preaching. Um, and, and, and what happened that night? It says in verse 33, it says that the, gathered, the whole city gathered together at the door. And he rose up early the next morning and he went out to pray. And it says the crowds again were looking for him and his disciples came and found him. And they're like, hey, Jesus, this big crowd, they're back, they're here, they're ready to rock. And Jesus says, no, let's, let's go to another city. I'm gonna preach there. And Jesus wasn't so much concerned with drawing big crowds. He was concerned with people and individuals and sharing the gospel and getting it out there. And, and we have to be careful, right, that we, we, we don't get the same mentality that, that people get lost in a big crowd, that Jesus cares about people. Now, I don't make any, any excuses or any um, apologies for the fact that I want to reach a lot of people. What are we doing if we don't want to reach a lot of people? You know, you people say, oh, I just want to, you know. No, we want to grow. We want to reach a ton of people because every one of those people represents a soul. It represents a life, but, but not at the expense that, that we do get so consumed in ministry as, as just a big crowd. Because I, I would much rather have a small crowd that's on fire for Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, and wants to go do something for God, and is real and genuine in their faith and in their desire to serve Jesus, than just a big group of people that are nominal, and if things get too heavy, then, then they, they're out. But at the same time, you know, we, we do. We want, we want to reach out. We want to grow. We want to spread. That's the whole point of what Jesus told us to do. But Jesus wasn't concerned with this big crowd. He left the crowd. He said, let's go to the next town and let's, let's go preach there. And while they were there, it says in verse 40, now a leper came to him imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion. Do you have that underlined? Moved with compassion. Another statement you'll see of Jesus that just, just, mo- just melts my heart, changes my heart. Jesus, Jesus moved with compassion. You'll see that about Jesus a lot. He, he oftentimes was moved, and usually it was his love and his compassion. That's what moves him today. That's what moves us today is the compassion, the love of Jesus. And he stretched out his hand, and he touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and said to him at once, and see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in 
a deserted place, and they came to him from every direction. Hallelujah. So let's, let's close there, but I want to comment on this last section. You can leave your Bible open for a minute. You can close it, whatever you like to do. We are going to receive communion this morning. and so, um, But this last section, a couple things I just want to highlight. Jesus comes, and this, this leper comes, and, and, and he asks Jesus, he says, if you are willing, make me whole. And I want to tell you, Jesus is willing. Not only is he willing, he's able to make you whole. For whatever reason, we don't know it. Nobody has a formula. According to God's will, the greatest prayer that any of us can pray is, is nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus, heal me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus, I need this job, but nevertheless, not, th- not my will, but thy will be done. Whatever your request is, always God's will, because I guarantee you God's will is better for you than what you, what you want to fight him for to get your own way. Just trust in his will. But this guy says, are you willing And Jesus says, yes, I'm willing. And Jesus heals the guy. And then Jesus says, go, don't tell anybody. And the guy goes out and tells everybody. So the first question is, well, why did Jesus tell this guy not to tell anybody? You know, a second ago, he just told those demons, right? Be quiet. Don't don't talk. The first one already said too much, maybe. And, And I think just for the simple fact of practicality, because what happened is as Jesus got to the next town, because this guy was out there telling this story, it created just a, a, a physical, regular situation with crowd control and problems, and, and the Pharisees were a problem, and the Pharisees hated Jesus, and they were already coming after him, and I think Jesus needed some time and, and, and didn't want this, this kind of just practical situation of the Pharisees getting turned off and the crowds coming for the wrong reason, and so he told this guy, for the time being, not to say anything. So the guy went out, and he told everybody, and it did create a little bit of a, a chaos situation there for Jesus. And, and the funny thing is, you know, I, part of you says, like, well, maybe Jesus was using, like, some reverse psychology here, you know. Hey, don't go tell anybody about me. So that the guy went out and told everybody, you know. So I'm going to try it. You guys, don't tell anybody about Jesus, okay? Don't tell anybody about our church, about, about what happens, about what Jesus did in your life, about that he's the king of kings and a lord of lords. Don't tell anybody. And I don't think that's what Jesus was doing. But the funny thing is, today, Jesus tells you and I to go and tell everybody. Go and tell the world. Go and make me famous. And, and yet we tell nobody. And, and we, we go week to week, day to day, and we, we, we oftentimes don't tell anybody about Jesus. And so, again, the other challenge, first one was this. Rise up early, pick a day, rise up early and seek Jesus. Second one is tell somebody about Jesus. Tell, and, and you know, as far as, ta- really quickly, and we're done, I promise. But telling somebody about Jesus, I, I think, is, is scary sometimes and, and daunting. And, and I think we, we, we oftentimes, including myself, we go about it all wrong. Our heart's in the right place. We want to tell people. But, but sometimes we just, we, we do it wrong. And, and we, we don't represent Jesus well. And we're offensive. And, and, and sometimes we just, you know, we talk like we're sucking on sour lemons. And people just are turned off by it. So, so in witnessing, it's the power of God's Holy Spirit. So pray for God to, to show up. Pray for God to give you an opportunity. And that's always what I pray for. Lord, give me an opportunity. Because if, if God's working on that guy's heart, then I'm able to talk to him. And, and God did that, and it's not in the flesh. So I do want you to tell people about Jesus. But before you do that, when you rise up early in the morning, ask him for an opportunity. Ask him for, to put someone in your life, someone that, that, that you can speak truth and you can love on and tell them about Jesus. And go tell them about Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to have the worship team come up.